Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 63 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, You know, we said a little while ago we were going to kind of shift a little bit of the focus of the show more towards open source. We wanted to kind of get away from, uh, you know, kind of being vendor centric, proprietary centric. So we've been, we've been talking more and more uh, to people that are in the open source space. And tonight we're kind of going back to explore a topic that we've talked about a couple of times, but it's been like six months. Um, so we're, we're glad to have on uh, James Waters, uh, director of cloud Foundry ecosystem and business development uh, from VMware. So James, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. Good uh, to be here. Good to have you. Um, we're Aaron's not on tonight. Aaron's off doing uh, dad stuff, and we were also going to have Andy Piper, who does uh, developer advocacy. Um, but we're doing this at a time when, uh, unfortunately, Andy had to drop off last minute. So uh, we may talk about some stuff for the rest of the world, um, but we'll I'll sort of make some notes about Andy because uh, he's doing a really really good job with the VMware uh, the the Cloud Foundry community, um, sort of in the rest of the world. So. Um, uh, yeah. You know, he may join on later on in the show, uh, but we'll kind of get started. Um, so l- let's talk about Cloud Foundry. We've had um, we had uh, we had Dave on uh, a couple of times in the past. Dave's um, since moved on to do some cool stuff. Uh, well, with- he became a. Let's be honest. Dave's moved on to be a Cloud Foundry customer, so yeah, exactly. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, so he's off doing cool stuff with Warner Music. Yep. Um, so that's very very cool. So, um, but so let's talk a little bit about Cloud Foundry because when 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 Dave and I were talking about it, we were talking like real kind of generic paths, like just trying to understand like how's paths different. We were talking about uh, you know frameworks and and what are developers like. But let's sort of talk about it from a VMware perspective because we never really have explored that. Um, you know, we were joking before the show. I said, you know, I'm not sure if you're the most loved guy at VMware or the most hated guy at VMware, and I and I was joking because. You know, VMware traditionally is a company that sells products. Um, you know, it's it's not an open source company, and a lot of what they do is you know things that are building on top of their their hypervisor legacy. And Cloud Foundry comes along, and it's it's got the potential to be this huge disruptor to to the marketplace in terms of you know new opportunities to get in the application space. But it's open source, so you know new business models, new revenue streams, and it's kind of platform independent, right? I mean, that's the past thing. So what's what's VMware's take on on, on Cloud Foundry? I mean, like, what's kind of the marching orders that, that you have? And then what does the community think of VMware being behind Cloud Foundry? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the thing that I'd say is that uh, developers are cool at VMware and yeah. apps are cool at VMware. And those two things are definitely a big area of focus for a lot of the executives there. Um, and... The number one order of Cloud Foundry was go be a tool that every developer wants to use. And that's that's why we're open source and that's why we're multi-platform because developers don't adopt technologies, different development stacks, just based on where they're going to deploy something. You're going to need to be ubiquitous. So, um, you know, Microsoft kind of had a vision of where your development stack, your deployment stack, all of your tooling all came from them and that they would be the single source solution. And you can see what happened to them is that they've had to pivot pretty hard and on their data services they've you know rumored to spending you know a king's uh, ransom getting hortonworks to port uh, hadoop to windows and to azure um, they worked with joint to port node js to azure so they're actually having to really change 
change that whole model to port those open source applications to their proprietary stack. And we take any opposite approach, which is to go find the most popular open source communities and bring them under an umbrella of one open source platform as a service that has has the best already baked in uh, and go after it that way. So it's, it's really more around a, a developer-focused and app-centric view of the world. And, and I think that's become very important to VMware because at the end of the day, the, the container only needs to service the app. Yep, exactly. <clears throat> now, you know, when when Cloud Foundry got started, uh, Paul was Paul Moritz was still running the company. Um, you know, some of the folks that were involved with it early on, you know, some of Paul's management team had come from Microsoft. Do, do you think those guys sort of learned their lessons from from some of that? You know, from having been at Microsoft and and um, you know, kind of how development tools and developers are, are are treated, or do you think it was more a matter of just where we are today? Open source is really prevalent with you know how the web's built, how the cloud's built. Um, you know, how much of it was sort of lessons learned versus just you know the the times that we live in today? Well, I, I'd I'd, uh, I'd risk a joke here, and I'd say that at least some of them went through a Google car wash first. True. So. Uh, um, you know, the, the, directly the three guys that came over, Mark, um, you know, came from Microsoft originally, but he spent uh, several years at Google in the meantime doing a lot of web technology there. So I think he had a really, really good pulse for what web developers wanted and how to build a web architecture uh, product first. So I, I do think that there was some ex-Microsoft in it, um, but I, I think they were actually more interested in some of the Google DNA that they'd inherited there um, and kind of from... You know, starting from web architecture, what is the future first? And a lot of the uh, the thinking that goes into capturing next generation platforms is, you know, you look at, uh, you know, MapReduce started it at Google, worked its way out to Yahoo, et cetera, et cetera. So trying to catch those early trends that are coming out of these massive web scale folks is, I think, part of the strategy. Yeah, yeah, understood. So, and I'm always <clears throat> amazed, by the way, Brian, that that tends to be predictable. Like I always wait for something to fail and for it to not get adopted. But sometimes these really big, highly demanding architectures are a pretty good predictor of the future. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, we always, um, you know, back in the day when I was working at Cisco and we were doing kind of new networking types of technologies, we always sort of said, look, if it, if it works in New York City, um, and even though it was always really big scale, and if it worked in New York City and it worked in the financial trading floors, um, you sort of knew it would work in the rest of the world. It was just a matter of kind of how do you get people to, to sort of scale it down or learn to adopt it. But but once that technology gets hardened in, in some of the really difficult places, it, you're right. It does it does tend to, to spread very quickly. So so let's talk about let's talk about those developers. So um, you know one of the conversations that happens around PaaS and and it comes from different vendors, but but it also comes from folks who are kind of um, you know in the middle of this is this idea that there's kind of a Silicon Valley view of, of PaaS, and then there's there's the rest of the world view of of what's going on with that and. Um, you know, this is one of the things we said we sort of wished Andy was on the call. But um, you guys, you guys took uh, for God, most of the year now. You've taken Cloud Foundry sort of on the road, uh, a ton of, of cities around the world. What, what sort of feedback do you get from around the world outside of outside of Silicon Valley about about PaaS, just PaaS in general, but more importantly, kind of about Cloud Foundry? What's the what's the community, um, you know, outside of outside of Silicon Valley saying about this or adoption about this? Yeah, I think there's a couple of answers here. Um, the, the first is, you know, I haven't been in every uh, every world tour event the way same way Andy has, so you know, I won't speak for uh, the coffee shop conversation in Bangalore about Cloud Foundry. I missed it. Um, but what I do watch is every tweet that comes out around Cloud Foundry around our ecosystem partners like AppFog and others. 
And I'm always amazed to find, say, a developer, one of my favorites to follow was a developer working in Egypt using AppFog to build new apps for Egypt. And I thought, you know, Paz has some legs here because here's someone who can very quickly get an app going and just focus on his app amidst the chaos and um, relative disorder that was going on in his country at the time. And I felt actually pretty good about that. Yeah. Um, and, and I do think there's a whole new generation of developers that are going to be able to grow up and write useful applications for the world without having to understand some of the underlying infrastructure in as much detail as the previous generation. Right. So I, I think that's a fairly ubiquitous demand from all kinds of developers of that level that you know really demand simplicity from a platform service. The other thing I'd mention that's notable from our geographic coverage is that China has just been unbelievably popular for us. We had over 2,000 people come to our open tour of their event there in China. And I think you know they're, they're very ravenous for the latest and greatest open source development technologies that they can build their economy on. And the Cloud Foundry has been incredibly popular there. And um, there's you know often news coming out of China that people don't hear about as much in the States because it's fairly firewalled off, if you will. Um, but uh, our adoption there has been has been very strong. Yeah, have you have you seen anybody any any good stories any good sort of um, anecdotes of of people who you know really quickly have, have been able to take uh, Cloud Foundry and and do something that's that's kind of meaningful in their country, but we might look at it as being like oh, you know I wouldn't have thought about it because it wasn't as big you know just sort of that I built an app I, you know uh, I did this cool thing for my village for my country for my School. I mean, have, have there been any kind of neat, very quick and dirty things that have come out that you go, man, that would have taken me 18 months with, with you know, other types of frameworks? Uh, you know, I don't have the Kodak moment in mind for you. Um, that, that Egyptian story is my favorite, but I, I literally do see very strong geographic coverage. Um, obviously, Brazil's big, too. I just got called by four people in Brazil who are building apps very rapidly with Cloud Foundry. So I, I, don't, I can't think of, like, the the marquee app that, you know, like brought, you know, mothers and lost children together in yeah. Uganda or something. But, um, you know, I've seen a lot of geographic adoption, of multi-geographic adoption of Cloud Foundry um, because, like you say, it, it is so useful to them. They don't have to, to worry about so many things. They can move faster. Yeah. Um, and in, in the United States, we often have the luxury. I mean, you know, um, the kind of customers that exist here of employing huge teams of people to do small things. Um, and I actually think that's one of the things that PaaS will change over time, but that's a luxury. And in other countries, they don't always have you know giant IT teams to go work on new apps. And I think that's why sometimes you can see adoption happening faster there. Right. Yeah. And you know the other thing I find with with open source is um, you know because you don't necessarily have to go get a lot of things. And 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 Cloud Foundry's done some very cool stuff between you know micro Cloud Foundry, so I can just you know, build it, build it on my laptop. I can, I can take it with me. I can do whatever. I mean, there's a very good chance. There's a lot of people developing those applications that right now are probably just sitting on their laptop somewhere. Um, and as the, the provider, as the cloud provider ecosystem starts to grow, you know, right now it's, you know, there's some very strong ones here in the U S over time. There will be globally. I think we'll probably start to see more and more of those kind of pop up and, you know, if, if the technology works the way it should, that, that guy should just be able to go, I built this, it runs on my micro cloud, I should just be able to push that anywhere. I could push it out to, you know, cloudfoundry.org, but I could also push it to tier three or a uh, provider in China or Brazil or wherever. Um, so, you know, I would, I would guess, you know, we'll, we'll start to see that more and more early parts of next year, I would think. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the other thing that was it's cool is that AppFog has gotten pretty famous 
amongst a, cer- a certain group of people. They've hit 100,000 applications deployed, you know, and they're based pretty much entirely on Cloud Foundry. Um, and so there's a little bit of app fog envy out there starting amongst service providers. Okay. Um, and at one conference I was at, they came up to me and they're like, we saw these app fog demos. Can you just make us into app fog? We want to be just like app fog. And, you know, you, you can't replace the team in app fog. And they're, you know, there's certainly, um, there's a lot of things you can't just have for free. But the nice answer is that technologically, yeah, you can play in that ecosystem pretty quickly with Cloud Foundry and you can be compatible. Um, and that was a, actually a provider from that had flown the whole way to our conference from South Africa to talk to me about this. And I couldn't believe that because that's a pretty pretty big flight. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Well, and, and AppFog's, AppFog's, uh, AppFog's the one that's doing kind of a, a cool different business model, right? Everything is memory-based for them. If I'm remembering right, they they came out and said, "Hey, we're not going to do you know VM based pricing or whatever. It's all going to be you know memory based pricing." Is that? I think yeah, you can put doing. as many apps as you want in their free slice of memory, and they have uh, I believe six different locations that you can manage with one console. So if you compare it to existing platforms and services on the market where you typically get one location and that's it, um, they've taken a pretty a pretty radical step. And I th- what's interesting about that is that's exactly what you should do when new open source comes out. You should take the best from that open source and then build value above and around it right. um, that wasn't there before. So instead of having to build the you know, application lifecycle stack, they had that with Cloud Foundry, and now they're doing multi-data center and, and a slick console to manage it all. Very cool. Very cool. Now, you know, one of the things that, that was sort of, um, you know, it's, it's been interesting. I mean, you guys uh, have taken a very... Um, you know, what people call polyglot or, you know, multiple developer frameworks. So it's Ruby and PHP and Java and Node and, you know, so sort of all the languages. Um, but it, it feels like, and I don't, you know, tell me if this is true or if it's just what we sort of see from the outside. Um, it feels like a lot of those languages are being driven not just by VMware. It wasn't just with Spring, but I mean, like you're seeing the different people in the community take ownership of that, of, of Node, of, of, you know, something else. Um, it feels like they're really driving it uh, in a lot of cases. Is that, is that true? Is that what, what's really happening yeah. in the community? We have a formal program called Community Leads. So for Python and for PHP, the contributions and, the, frankly, the forum support comes from those companies that are the community leads. So AppFog is a PHP-focused company. They, they were and they still are, um, and they have a lot of PHP developers, so they contribute that expertise that we don't have on staff on our team. Um, and ActiveState is actually the you know one of the largest language support companies in the world just from providing support for bare languages like Python and Perl and tickle and uh they are the community lead for python so that is definitely part of the model and i think that's the great thing about open source is uh developer can have a common tool set a common tool chain um without having to change that and then get the expertise that they need from different parts of the community for certain apps for certain uh, um languages and it's not a breaking migration so you don't have to say i have to drop my whole my whole way of thinking about apps to change languages okay So, you know, as you guys are adding more languages, there, there's been a lot of a lot of um, announcements over the last, say, six months about new database technologies, whether it's like Mongo or Cassandra or, or whatever. Um, you know, as, as, you're, as you're driving business development, I mean, you're out there talking to people, whether they're technology partners or yeah. other, other people. Like, how much do you get involved with when, when people come to you and say, can you, can you give us more attention in this space? Can you give us more? I mean, are you involved with that? Who, who's involved with trying to make sure that there's, uh, you know, enough technology there to do a lot of cool things, but, but more so like, 
you know, trying to, to marry, maybe there's, maybe there are cool business opportunities. Is that where you're involved or who's, who drives those sort of things? Yeah. So I look at all the new database technologies that are out there for sure. Um, I know most of those companies and their, their management staff pretty well. Um, Mongo's the one really external partnership that we have with TenGen, mm-hmm. where it's not just a, you know, like with MySQL, we have no relationship with Oracle per se. We just use the community version of MySQL. Um, we've done some close work with TenGen, and uh, uh, we're pretty excited about their developer community as well. Well, they've got a lot of users. Uh, they can throw up a, uh, a conference anywhere in the country and get three or 400 people there, and there's not a lot of technologies that can do that. Um, yeah, so I absolutely definitely am involved in that. And as a, the, the other side of that, though, is that we came out with Cloud Foundry Core, which I believe we're going to talk about, yeah. which is a way of saying, look, there's a lot of great technologies in the world, and we want to be a polygon pass that supports as many of those as possible in our open source. But let's specify what every provider we think should have have as a baseline. And, and the baseline is just as important as the long tail in some way, because that means if you write to that baseline, you can move it anywhere you want. And so, uh, you know, TenGen and MongoDB is included in that in that core specification. I think that's um, that was an interesting decision that we made to, to include a, a next generation database like that in what is a very tight and supposedly more narrow scope than the rest of the project. Um, so there's definitely there's definitely two tensions there. One is serve the long tail, and the other is do a couple of things really really well and make that portable. Gotcha. So let's let's talk about Cloud Foundry Core. Um, you know, it got announced this week. Um, you know, I had pinged you I don't know a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, you know, James, is there kind of an official list of providers uh, that people could go to if they they want to deploy? That's right. Did I said, hey, hold on. It's yeah, coming. yeah. You said hold on a couple of weeks. I assume this was kind of what it was. So so talk about what what core is. I mean, what's it what's it trying to signal to the market? What does it help? Uh, for you know providers to sort of you know leverage the the cloud foundry name what's it what's it ultimately trying to do yeah I mean, for us again it all comes back to serving application developers well with tools that help them and, and one of my favorite things about core is that it's it's not a logo program per se or a static content management uh, CMS that just lists a bunch of people where everyone throws a logo in and there's really no ongoing responsibility that's hard to maintain. With Cloud Foundry, with core.cloudfoundry.org, you can go out in real time and query and test what applications and services any one of our, um, any, any Cloud Foundry endpoint has. And we'll also preemptively list for you people who have a good history of following core as it goes along. So it'll be an evolving specification that you can you know understand that they'll they'll have that on an ongoing basis so I, I think core is really important because a lot of the conversation in cloud has been around apis and compatibility and a lot of these far-flung things and open cloud but no one has ever said look here's let's start with the app be app focused what does the app need to run let's make sure that's in these you know I think right now we have 16 clouds listed in cloud foundry core 16 locations so we've come and said if you write to the specification cloud foundry core you can now host your app, guaranteed, in those 16 locations. Um, and I think that's a unique promise that almost no other uh, cloud software out there is making today. I think the closest thing you have is running in an Amazon availability zones uh, and regions, but there you have to maintain your whole app and do a lot of the work yourself. You don't get any of the benefits of paths. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. So, so it doesn't it doesn't preclude anybody today from just taking any of the Cloud Foundry code and doing whatever they want with it. But if you want to, if you've evolved to that point where you want to deploy it on somebody else's cloud, you want to know that, you know, I may deploy 
some amount of the services on on you know AppFog, some on you know Tier Three, some on Aruhu, or you know I want to have mobility. It, it kind of gives you a sense of okay, th- that's my baseline, and then you can sort of build from there. Is that a, a good way to look at it? Yeah, that's right. That's that's the that's what you can write to, and you know it'll be on CloudFoundry.com, it'll be in MicroCloud, and it'll be in the partners that have signed up to be core compatible. You know you can get that anywhere you want. If you need to break out of that and go with something special to any one of those providers, that's your choice. But we wanted to offer a baseline and a cadence that you know all those providers will be going along with us as we evolve the spec forward. So when we need to update to a new version of a database, we can do that more gracefully together, and there will be you know a true application portability. Um, okay. Um, and we also want to provide real-time tools so that developers can validate those promises that other people are making versus, you know, having them be implicit, saying, oh, well, you know, we're all part of, of this um, open cloud group, and therefore you, you might get application portability. We want to provide a tool that really checks for it. Right, right. Now, you know, obviously when we start talking about sort of app portability, um, you know, it's one thing to talk about the providers that do it. At some point somebody's going to say, well, hey, you know, what about me as a, as an enterprise? Um, you know, maybe, you know, if, what if I want to run it inside my walls? And I know one of the things that Pat Gelsinger mentioned at VMworld in one of his keynotes, and it, it didn't get a whole lot of press. It was sort of a one-liner, but he said, hey, sometime in 2013, we're going to have a sort of an enterprise, you know, behind the firewall version of, of Cloud Foundry that, that you'll be able to get at. Do you spend much of your time? Do you hear much yet from, from enterprise customers, or is it still you know, kind of early and they're going, hey, we'd like to think about it, keep us in the loop. Or, you know, how much of your time do you ever spend with, with that type of customer set? A lot, a lot. Okay. There's a lot of enterprise customers working with the open source. Um, and it's truly one of the unique gifts of Cloud Foundry is that you can have your own. Okay. Um, you know, the, the two most public ones, you know, we, oftentimes enterprise customers, unlike, you know, grassroots developers don't like talking about what they're doing. Right. So you don't see a lot of tweets on Twitter from big company installing and using Cloud Foundry, but they exist. The two biggest ones that are public references are Intel and Warner Music, okay. um, both of which started to hire teams around it. I mean, that's where Dave went. And, you know, he was on the Cloudcast before. He went to Warner Music, and he's obviously working on Cloud Foundry there. That's why they recruited him. Right. Um, so I actually think that the promise there is is giant. And uh, the one thing I'd offer is, is that it's not just a technology for these folks. It's all, also organizational change. They say, now that we're adopting PaaS, what else could we change about the way we think of all of this? And it's caused a lot of introspection to enterprises. Uh, one enterprise you know, mentioned publicly that you know, we have a head of compiling Apache on, on our application team. So they have someone that just does that. Um, and it can take you know maybe six months from the time an app developer has an idea wants to start working on something to when it can be in production, often more. And that is a huge opportunity. It's one thing to get startups going fast. It's another to change the apps that power the economy and how quickly they can evolve. And the the fun confluence of events here is that mobilization is coming along and causing a lot of people to write a lot of new apps at the same time PaaS is coming. So. That's where you see a very strong um, thread of interest is when you have a lot of new apps coming online for mobile, and they need to be written in a three- to six-month or less time frame. It's not the same deployment philosophy um, as it used to be when you're writing an ERP application that might have an 18-month consulting cycle to really roll out and deploy. Right, right, right. Yeah, and that's... All the Oracle uh, process apps like we used to live in. Right, right. No, and that's a, that's a very cool kind of you know set of things coming together and and because of you know the fact that you can make them mobile i mean you literally can have your 
development team go out and develop it on one of the public services. And if for some reason you want to bring it back in house at some point, um, you know, you'll have that capability. And then long term, if you're developing other apps, um, you know, you can sort of do that as, like you said, as your as your organization evolves to to know how to deal with moving things that quickly. So, um, so very cool. So, so that's a that's sort of probably you know a 2013 thing. I suspect there's a bunch of packaging that'll be involved with that. Plus, um, there will probably be a very very ripe market for people that have been um, doing Cloud Foundry operations behind the scenes to to do a bunch of consulting work for those types of companies. Uh, consulting get- a consulting company, Cloud TP, wrote a rant yesterday. Or last week. Did you see that? No, I didn't see it. I'll yeah, they wrote a rant and they said, commercialize Cloud Foundry now. And, uh, you know, without answering every point by point, he was saying, like, basically, like, all of my customers are ready for this. They're just waiting for VMware to say go and, and have it available as a product. And it's going to be a huge market. So that's the kind of thing that keeps a, a technology guy, like a new technology guy like me, kind of up at night, excited and working the late hours. Yeah, no, that's very cool. And that's, you know, that, that's the other side of the conversation, I think, that, you know, people kind of have to think about when, you know, because a lot of times traditional people, uh, traditional, like people who have kind of grown up in environments where, um, you know, the product is driving the revenue stream, you know, open source, while, you know, there are parts of it that are free, I mean, it doesn't mean that every part of it comes for free. I mean, there's revenue opportunities, there's there's technology learning opportunities. I mean, it's just it's just a different sort of focus on where things go. So, um, you know, for folks that listen to this and you're hearing these things, like they're, you know, what James is doing is unlocking a whole bunch of different types of opportunities that you can evolve to, that your career can evolve to. So that's that's very very cool. Um, yeah, know, if you have uh, if you have Cloud Foundry uh, skills, deployment management skills today, you can name your price. So all these enterprises that are spinning up and starting to use Cloud Foundry, if you can come in as an expert to them, name your price. Very Trust cool. me. Yeah, and since you guys offer sort of the, the free version of it, you can go out on cloudfounder.org. Folks can play with this all day long if they really wanted to. So yep. very cool. Um, so I guess sort of sort of last question, we'll wrap this up. Um, so, you know, as you're as you're talking to as you're talking to people, especially as you're talking to developers, whether they're you know enterprise developers or, or the guys who are running this as a service, you know, you talked a little bit of go about like this is this is a change forget about the technology but this is a this is a change of how they operate things how much visibility they have as to what's going on i mean what do you, what do you hear from those guys in terms of how comfortable they feel with it today you know like how much more visibility do they wish they have are they getting used to it i mean what's the general you know kind of feedback or what are the big feedbacks that you get about about paths and specifically about cloud foundry yeah um i mean i think i think one of the interesting things I'll mention that any pass is going to go through is like, how do you scale data um, for an app that's gone very large? How do you do very large scale data in a pass? Yeah. Um, and I, I think one thing that would be great to get rid of is the idea that if you're in a pass, you get to a certain scale and you, you just can't run it there anymore. Um, I, I think that's, that's a, that's a thread. And, you know, it talks to people that are thinking of building cloud foundry services for high scale apps. And that's pretty exciting. Well, now, now why is would it that, with the flexibility? Would, I mean, given, given, like you said, that the, I mean, a lot of that's going to be sort of the underlying data database technology. Why would why would there be this concern about it not being able to scale? Uh, it, it's more just from uh, the constraints of the typical deployment that the PaaS is built to to handle, and so a lot of things have been very Chinese menu based. And here's your four options for database, and if you don't fit into that model, then you're you're broken. Okay. But you know, think of the things we can do with outside collaborators adding you know additional configuration options in open source for people that are very expert in databases, just like 
we did with runtimes. Imagine they could say, hey, here's like a high scale configuration for, for this that really works well. Let's contribute that to open source. I and mean, we're not there yet, but I think we're going to have a lot of surface area around databases and data configuration that we'll be able to go after and attack that other more purely menu-based uh, platforms that aren't open source can't go after. Okay. Um, and, and I think and that's pretty exciting. I think that's, you know, Paz has certainly met the simplicity market. It is growing very fast there, and I'm looking forward to it breaking out into some some more interesting spaces as well. Okay. And, and like, when you hear those sort of things, is that does that sort of set off a red flag or an alarm for you that says, you know, I've got to go kind of drive that. I've got to bring those problems to the MongoDBs, the, the Bashos, the Cassandras of the world, or are they kind of aware of it and they work with I mean, like, how, how, does, how do those kind of concerns kind of then get propagated to the community? Um, yeah, I mean, I talk to 10Gen every week. So okay. we're definitely in close, close collaboration with 10Gen. And I think the, you may see some things come out in the future. Those are long lead items to, you know, automate and scale databases. But certainly some interesting things um, that I think could come out of uh, our 10-gen relationship. Um, and, and the other ones, you know, we don't currently have in, in Cloud Foundry, but uh, we, we may in the future always always keep them in mind. Uh, React and Cassandra are both good at uh, multi-data center configurations um, that we don't currently have. That could be interesting. I mean, part of it, the whole the whole magic of it, I think, is navigating where you can find current demand to keep growing the project and to keep people excited about it yep. without overreaching too far, while at the same time really tackling hard problems and solving hard problems. So, um, and in a tweet the, a couple weeks ago, I said that the fine balance between NIH not invented here and you know not refusing to solve hard problems, and that's that's what's always interesting with new tech is looking at those. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, one last thing, and, and I'll let you go. So we're, you know, we're kind of getting to that time of year where everybody's looking forward to to the next year, kind of setting goals, making predictions. It, you know, as, as you're sitting there, uh, Cloud Foundry's, you know, officially, you know, roughly a year and a half old or so. You know, what is is you're looking at 2013? Like, what do you set for goals? What what'll what'll tell you that that it's going good or it's going great or you know you feel like okay we've we've covered you know like we've gotten over that next hurdle what's what are going to be those things that you're looking for uh for cloud foundry to sort of say hey this this is going to be successful or the things that that you'll you know you'll feel really good about yeah you know i'm the ecosystem development guy so for me it's it's growth of the ecosystem and signs of life there so in the last two months um, several Cloud Foundry-specific consultancies have popped up. And this is when I said you can name your price. That's happening because you can name your price. Okay. Um, what, are some of those, what are some of those so, names? Who are some of those Cloud, people? Yeah, Cloud Elements is one of them. Um, they're based in Colorado. And uh, I think we're doing a video with them, not to break any secrets. Sure. Um, we'll, be, we'll be talking more about them in the future. They're out there. Uh, they love Cloud Foundry. They're building apps just for Cloud Foundry. They're installing Cloud Foundries for people. That's coming and then I know of some other ones that are, you know, being created right now that aren't publicly launched where people are saying, hey, I can go build a business on Cloud Foundry. Uh, service providers coming to me and saying, I want to have a Cloud Foundry business. And that's all driven off a virtuous cycle of more developers being aware of us at the low end and then also more enterprises with custom configurations wanting to engage and start building things out. I would say over the next couple months, I, I, I've watched the, the growth of that as an ecosystem guy with a, a little bit of happiness and it continues to evolve. And then I think it'll get to more of a tipping point. You know, hopefully uh, we can push as hard as we can in the next year to, to get that going. 
Very cool. Well, listen, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up then. Um, so, you know, we're, we're out of time for the week, James. Uh, so, you know, thank you so much for, for taking the time for being on the show. Um, you know, for folks that, um, you know, maybe don't follow you on Twitter or, you know, want to know more about Cloud Foundry and Paz, where's the, where's the best place to kind of keep up with what's going on uh, with Cloud Foundry in the Paz space events and stuff like that? Yeah, I think our Cloud Foundry blog is actually pretty, it's pretty uh, prolific. Well, there's a lot coming out there that's great to watch. Um, so I believe that's still at blog.cloudfoundry.com unless it's slash blog. I, I don't quite remember. Okay. Maybe slash blog. Yep. Um, and that's a great place to check out. And then, you know, I'd also say there's a bunch of the Cloud Foundry folks who do hang out on Twitter. Andy, myself, for a pretty prolific, Patrick Chen is on. Um, anytime you have a question, um, I, I, for one, watch everything that gets said about Cloud Foundry anywhere on the internet. So I'll try to answer back pretty quickly. So uh, check those two things out. And if you ever need to just ask a question, we're always here waiting. Very cool. Well, again, uh, thank you so much for the time, folks. We're out of time for the show. Uh, if you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. You can always follow us on Twitter at the Cloudcast Net or any of the social media links that you can find off of uh, the Cloudcast Net website. So for James and uh, for Aaron, who's uh, off today, uh, thanks and have a good weekend. 